0: As much as we carry the wounds and the pain and the suffering, we also carry the medicine. Healing is collective. And if we're able to acknowledge each other's humanity and each other's pain and suffering, that's a start towards collective healing.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Brianna.
2: And I'm Homer. You're listening to Life on the Margins an Urban Native Experience.
1: On today's episode, live from the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park, we dive into a discussion around decolonizing mental health with our guest, Sylvia Pinto. Sylvia is a first-generation Salvadoran American and a practicing mental health professional who discusses with us the complex intersection of Western medicine and Indigenous knowledge and what she is doing in her own regular practice. Let's jump into the episode. Sylvia, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and um share a little bit about yourself, yeah.
0: Um, and actually, if before I share a little bit about myself, if we could just take a little moment, I wanted to wanted to begin by acknowledging uh, that we're we're here, and we're meeting together. We're gathered here on the territory of the Shawnee and Miami peoples, and really just pay my respect to the elders, past and present, um who stewarded this land. For generations, so just wanted to acknowledge that yeah, before thank you. anything else. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, uh, you were asking about me. Um, so I'm from Los Angeles, California. I was born on Tongva lands and uh, grew up there till I was about 18. Moved up to San Francisco where I went to college. Uh, but my parents immigrated from El Salvador and uh, they immigrated here during the time of a civil war in El Salvador. Um, it was a time of a lot of displacement in that our country. And um, we are descendants of the Nahuatl, Pipil, and Lencas people who are native to El Salvador. And uh, I am first-generation American, first-generation college graduate. I went to uh, the University of San Francisco where I studied okay. psychology yeah. and uh, then went on to pursue my master's degree in clinical social work from Boston University. Worked in mental health for 12 years, been a journey.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and that's amazing, the first college graduate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, uh, it had its challenges and it had its rewards. Definitely, I think it's been something that my family has been supportive of and always mm-hmm. has pushed for my sisters and I to pursue a higher education. Um, it's, you know, one of the, the reasons that they came here too, to seek, you know, better opportunities for our family.
1: I think yeah. like, like most people. You know, our topic is around decolonizing mental health. And I think to start things off, you know, what does decolonizing mental health mean to you? Like I don't know if
0: it if there's one one meaning for it. To me, it's really been something that I've come to understand through my experience, not just teachers in in the academic world, mm-hmm. but the people that I've worked with that I've worked alongside that I've helped and supported through mm-hmm. their healing journeys. So to me, it really it's more of a movement. Sure. I'd say that. Yeah. Not really an academic construct, but it's a movement that really calls for mental health professionals to educate ourselves in order to become more aware of how historical trauma plays a role in in the pain and suffering of people and our mental health.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And to really push for us to come together to co-create a, a new system a system that's going to be more inclusive
3: mm-hmm.
0: and that's going to recognize that not only is you know western medicine and western psychology something that has you know healing healing benefits and and powers but also that within our own culture there's medicine there are teachers healers mm-hmm. that also have very valuable medicine for us and in a lot of ways is much more connected, we're much more connected to and can really touch us more deeply and and help us to heal.
1: I think a lot about how, at least in my own personal experience, the mental health professionals that I've interacted with, whether I've sought out therapy or just... With community members that i that I know and I'm friends with, um, and what I've seen and heard is is that the mental health profession is really white and particularly like white women led and so when I consider decolonizing or indigenizing mental health and and how we get there, it feels hard to imagine how we get to a place of decolonizing, and I think that you are, you are one person in the field working to do this, um, and you bring your stories and your experiences and your ancestors' stories and experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, just to say, like, you being here is a step, I think, in that direction for this industry, if you will. Yeah,
0: and I, I think that, you know, you mentioned community, and I think mm-hmm. that's a big part of it. You know, I think decolonizing mental health really looks to to bring healing through relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, western medicine and western psychology does does have its its pearls of wisdom. It does it does have its place. And at the same time, I think that it doesn't nec- it doesn't mean that everything else doesn't have value. And I think that's what, you know, I that's what decolonizing mental health really tries to to do is to bring validity and and Acknowledgement that there are so many forms of medicine, so many ways to heal, mm-hmm. and you know, to to stick to just one way mm-hmm. that doesn't work for for everyone, you know, I think is we we do people a disservice, and also I think you know we we do harm sometimes yeah. unintentionally because we're not taking into consideration people's culture and how culture influences the way that we understand healing. Sure. You know, and so when when we approach therapy from a more western psychology model We're really looking at things from a very individual perspective, and we're pathologizing people, and we're not looking at the big picture. We're not looking at how the systems that are in place are contributing to people's trauma or have contributed to people's trauma and continue to do so by, you know, legislation and the structure of the system and... This very individualistic way, too, we remove community from the mm-hmm. equation, and you know for a lot of a lot of people, community is what brings healing, and so you know this one way of doing therapy one on one i 'm not going to say that people don 't benefit from being heard and being able to talk to someone else and really have that undivided attention mm-hmm. from an, another person. And at the same time, I think that there's a lot of other components, especially when we're talking about historical trauma and we're talking about you know, a collective trauma mm-hmm. and collective trauma, it's a group of people who have been harmed, sure. who have been wounded. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is to help rebuild that connection to each other, to ourselves. And we can only
1: do that in community. Yeah, and you touched on something really important, and that is how colonization is one of our deepest intergenerational wounds. And, you know, I'm wondering if you could, like, expand on that a little bit and just how we how that concept integrates itself into all of this that we're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's in, you know, like you said, it's a historical trauma. At the root of it is colonization. Mm-hmm. Because what happens you know, when, when we're looking at colonization and the impact that it has and continues to have because it created so much wide displacement mm-hmm. and disconnection mm-hmm. of communities, of people from our identities, from our culture, from our medicine, from
3: mm-hmm.
0: all the things that make us who we are, then it is something that we carry Inner gener- you know, generation to generation. Sure. It's it's not something, you know, when I when I talk about that disconnect, I'm not talking just about, you know, the physical disconnect from our lands, but also that emotional disconnect that comes from that experience and the mental, this, the spiritual sure. disconnect. And that's something that our parents carry, mm-hmm. our parents' parents carry. It's something that you know, we carry in our bodies. It's in our our cells, down to our, our you know our cellular level, um, which you know epigenetics you know shows a lot of evidence to that. And you know, even just the language that we use, you know, treatment, client, yeah, um, intervention. <laughs> right? It's um, it continues to have this very dehumanizing. Way about it that it, it it does cause a lot of people to to internalize that and internalize that as our identity, and then it gets you know it gets continuously passed on from generation to generation, and these feelings of lesser than sure. or or broken um, we then feel is comes from from ourselves yeah. rather than from our, our history, our experiences, mm-hmm. and the, you know, systemic oppression. And it just continues to get lived
1: from generation right. to generation, right. you know. My family, my matrilineal line, they were all medicine women. And that is a practice that I don't actively do in my daily life. It is something that I am learning, relearning. Mm-hmm. And if I look back at the patriarchal lines, um, or the people, the men that have impacted um, my indigenous community and my family. Um, I understand that, like I'm here today as someone who doesn't feel as though I have and carried the knowledge of how to practice medicine from a traditional way. And I sit here and understand that it's because this white man adopted my mother and her siblings. And we moved here and grew up and they grew up very much in the Western sense of like, you know, very patriotic, very American. Mm -hmm. And Homer, I don't know if you have similar stories, but I just, I understand that I'm here today experiencing that loss and also experiencing that journey because of that intergenerational trauma uh, that's carried down and because of colonization.
2: Yeah. And talking about how Western medicine kind of ignores the medicine that's been practiced across the world, really, not just here. Uh, I had a transplant like 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. In the process of doing it, they paralyzed both my arms from the shoulder down. They told me I would never move them again, which they obviously lied. Um, (laughs) I was about six months in and still wasn't getting much response from the therapy and the therapist was great gave me all the tools I needed but I went to a Reiki healing session and I spent about two hours just having Reiki done on Mm -hmm. my body Mm -hmm. and within four days I could this sounds so minimalistic but it was a moment where I like cried. I could move a washcloth with just my hand on it across a highly waxed table <laughs> to myself. And, and the funny thing is, like, I couldn't feel anything from my shoulders down. But my back, the rest of my body was just a knot from trying to do everything that I needed to do to make these work. Mm-hmm. After two hours of Reiki, I left and I, I literally felt like a, a wet piece of spaghetti. Just I was relaxed. Everything was perfect. And then Mm -hmm. within four days, I'm moving this washcloth, which I could not do before. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't like I was speed racer. It was (laughs) very, very slow. (laughs) But I couldn't do that previously. Yeah. Um, We need to, I I feel we need to open our our minds to the things that people have been practicing for centuries. Sure. Mm -hmm. And have worked in their culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say that I would never move my arms if I hadn't. But I can't say that I would have either. Yeah. So it's, I think it's important for our medicine system, to our medical professionals, to look at things that, that are outside their normal. You know, um, of men, my age, you know, we're taught that we should hide our feelings and push them all down. And, mm-hmm. you know, real men don't cry and things like that. Mm-hmm. But as a very young child, I remember seeing my father ball his eyes out, Yeah, you know, tell us that. You know, what he loved about things, what he hated about things, and just the whole range of emotion. And it was so far out of the norm for my generation, mm-hmm. and for his generation especially. You know, he went to Korea, so, like, those, those men were especially, you know, you're sure. not supposed to show. Sure. Um, but he showed us, my brother and I both, that it's okay. You're human, you know. Mm-hmm. You can cry. That doesn't make you less than. It means you're stronger. Mm-hmm. um and I think those attitudes are something we need to look at and adopt and again I'm not a professional I just know from my own life but part of me thinks too and I, I could be wrong but that's okay I'm wrong about a lot um <laughs> I think that part of that ancestral trauma has made me who I am that you know maybe I wouldn't have tried new things with my arms if I hadn't had that ancestral trauma mm-hmm. so maybe I hate to say this, maybe it was good that it was there mm-hmm. you know I'm this the descendant of a survivor of a massacre, so maybe that that strength that that will that that passion for life you know made me be here today,
0: yeah, and I think we you know we definitely have there's a lot of resiliency um, from having so many generations you know going through so much pain and suffering, and and I think that's the other, you know, the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, we we talk a lot of, in mental health about people's disorders and illnesses, and it's this very illness-focused model. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't we don't talk as much about the strengths that are there and. And even if we do, you know, we we sort of bypass them. It's just you know we don't spend as much time, even in in training mental health professionals. The you know the training is about how do I identify illness, how do I identify what's wrong with people, instead of what what is good about people mm-hmm. and asking questions from a different angle. You know, from from. Not of like what is wrong with you, but what happened to you. You know, like is it's it's in the language that we use. I think that also affects how people see themselves, how mm-hmm. people come to understand their experience. You know, you you both said a lot there that I think brings up a couple of things for me. You know, the your experience with Reiki and, and you mentioned of uh, the the medicine that you're working to relearn. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a—as much as we carry the wounds and the, the pain and the suffering of our historical trauma, we also carry the medicine within us. and I, And I don't think we talk about that yeah, enough. Right. You know, and even if we were disconnected and, you know, I think some of us more so than others— I was very fortunate growing up to have my my mom, my grandma living with me. Um, because the Civil War caused so much displacement in El Salvador, a lot of my family came over to the you know to the United States, and so I I was fortunate to grow up with a lot of my family around Man. me. But not a lot of people are, right. and me being first generation. I'm not that far removed from the culture mm-hmm. you know my aunts and my you know my grandfather my grandmother they like we never went to the doctor
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: w- w- our family they all practiced medicine mm-hmm. in some way and mm-hmm. so that's The doctors were in our family. (laughs) You know, we only went to the doctor when it was, you know, kind of something out of their scope and, you know...
1: When your arms are paralyzed.
2: (laughs) Or broken. But But it it sounds like, too, what you're saying is, you know, the old saying is misery loves company, but conversely, misery maybe needs community. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, I don't know that I ever was asked by a healthcare professional like who is who are you in community with who who is around you you know it's like what are you eating and like you know it's it's clearly more medical and physiological like what are you doing to your body but but yeah. how do we recognize and amplify and acknowledge our culture and our medicines and our community okay. as the medicine that right. we so desperately need to transform an industry that is dare i say just feeding itself what it needs to continue to survive. I mean, um, yeah. are there ways that, you know, in your work or outside of that, that you've effectively seen or could advocate for culture and community as legitimate practice in yeah. improving or decolonizing mental health?
0: Yeah, I think culture is a big part of that. You know, finding ways to, to embed culture into into the work and relating to people on that level. You know, I think culture is really important when it comes to identity. And identity is really important to understanding who we are, you know, because without really having a good understanding of who we are, we're really vulnerable to then believing that we are what other people say we are and that can be really dangerous especially when we're talking about we're living in a you know a colonized society mm-hmm. that says you know that's that elevates one group of people over others
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know and so then we internalize that you know we see generations move further and further away from their their roots from their mm-hmm. ancestors from their medicine and then lose sight of who they are, and then we wonder why we feel so disconnected, why we feel so mentally, emotionally, spiritually unwell, but it's because we have all of all this knowledge of everything else but
1: of who we are and where we come from. Yeah. Um, I hear a lot of schools of thought around, well, well, my anger is justified, that if I don't feel angry then and I just wonder like what your thoughts are on that because hanging on to and holding on to that anger although real and important and valid is at least for me incredibly taxing even though I know like so much of my generational trauma like my anger is validated in that. It it
2: sounds exhausting though (laughs) like to be angry all the time is just exhausting um and I I, I have anger about, mm-hmm. you know, trauma and things like that. But like you said, you know, I try to find outlets for that. You know, I, I watch hockey. I watch football, two of the most violent sports we have. <laughs> um, I, I play video games. You know, I'm 58 years old, and I'm still sitting in front of my PlayStation sure. <laughs> uh, taking anger out. But when I wake up in the morning, I feel great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy that my dog is well, that my wife is well, not in that order, um, that, that works for me is just finding that outlet for it and, you know, and, and being in community with other natives and, you know, being able to talk uh, sometimes very seriously and sometimes jokingly about all of it. Mm
1: -hmm. But,
2: and I think Brianna and I both look at it in the same way, you know, we're, we're, we want to put out as much positivity as we can because, we do know the anger we do know the the trauma we do know uh how it can eat you up mm-hmm. and and we want to not mask it at all but try to amplify the positives
0: yeah and i think it's it's important to to find ways to express that anger and and also to acknowledge that you know there's there's anger and there's rage right and and that rage is valid and it comes from you know generation after generation of feeling like you can't express that anger you know because for a lot of our ancestors they couldn't sure you know it yeah. meant it meant the you know the difference between living or dying them to express how they felt you know for them to express the emotions that they felt the pain and the suffering that they were going through that they were seeing their families go through um, you know i i i struggle still you know I, I think over time as i've continued down my own healing it's become a little a little easier to manage i don't know if easier is a word but it's it's you know, I think from my experiences of having watched how the, you know, my family was affected by the war and the the war, the violence of war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, a lot of my uncles and my mom were forced to be soldiers as children, you know, because that was the reality they were living in. You know, the government was forcing children to to join the military and to kill its own people Mm -hmm. and you know some people had to choose between you know being forced to do that or forced to join guerrilla groups that were you know trying to protect people Mm -hmm. but in that I mean war is war violence is violence you know and when they left that was never healed they never talked about it and till this day it's really difficult mm. for them to talk about it and it's yeah. difficult for me to even ask them about it and i think that that is true for a lot of people you know when we talk about colonization even in you know in the the black community slavery and the experience of slavery that continues to affect generations till this day you know that i mean the dehumanization of people is just it it hits you at your to your soul you know and it creates this disconnect that there's just no words for you know and and growing up you know it was really hard for me to see my parents struggle with their emotions mm-hmm. and ha- and see it expressed in addiction in violence in gang violence you know in self harm in rape you know mm-hmm. it just it's this is what unexpressed unhealed trauma looks like yeah and our response as a society is label, diagnose, medicate, put in prison people who are hurting. Yeah, you know I think so. It's it's important to recognize the anger and the rage as pain, mm-hmm. and to support people into finding ways to express that in ways that is going to help them to heal yeah. and not you know just continue to give this idea that it's not okay for them to feel what they feel but then also this is where culture plays a big piece you know this is where i i was able to find a lot of healing in reconnecting with my Indigenous roots because I, came, I finally came to understand from an Indigenous philosophy and perspective what my place in the world is, who I am, and how to view myself and others and my relationship to others in really coming to relearn the, you know, the medicine that allowed me to really be able to channel that anger and that rage that, you know, got passed down to me
3: mm-hmm.
0: in, in a different way, you know, because I mm-hmm. no longer, I no longer, it's not that I didn't feel upset when people, and still do, you know, when people express ideas and opinions that are just, are are ignorant, (laughs) you know. Um, But I respond more intentionally. Mm. And I think that's the difference, you know, is that I have a better understanding of who I am, but I've also been allowed to express the anger, express the rage. And with that has come, you know, some destructiveness. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And I think that that also is a process. It's, it's a part of the healing process. We do the work mm-hmm. so that it can, the work can continue to be done in the next generation, you know. But I think that there 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 is a difference and at the same time, it's important to acknowledge that we can do harm too. Sure. And if we don't, if we don't address it if we don't do the work to heal ourselves we cause ourselves harm we cause others harm it it just ripples to yeah. the next generation mm-hmm. right, and to those right. around us and so that's why it's important to do the work i you know i i completely understand what you you know what you're saying um it's not an excuse mm-hmm. to hurt others sure sure yeah. um but it's you know
1: it exists.
0: It, it exists, and so and if it and, happens, and, it happens. Well, well, but I think that's you know I I'm think kidding. we see. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. You know, we see. You know, I, I don't know how how much you know about the kind of aftermath of the war in El Salvador, but but it was a long time before we got to Bukele, you know, and there was a lot of violence that came even after the war, uh, you know the The war lasted from 1970 to 1990. And the people who were displaced formed gangs to protect themselves from the gang violence, the threats to their safety and their families that they encountered when they came to the United States. And so out of that came out MS-13 and El Salvador you know, once the United States saw that that was becoming a real problem in Los Angeles began massive deportations, and El Salvador once again became this violent place, and it was for a long time considered the most violent place in, in Latin America. Yeah. Yeah. And that those individuals that f- were part of MS-13, you know, everybody demonizes them and I you know and I'm not gonna say that there's not there aren't moments where I also get very angry because of the violence that they caused but that violence comes from unhealed trauma it comes from generation after generation of being suppressed oppressed Mm -hmm. having your safety threatened sure and nobody validating or acknowledging that.
1: You know, understanding all of that, how do you move in your, you know, practice or own therapeutic work or maybe in the work that you've done when you were in California? Like, what does that work look like understanding all of this generational, all of these generational experiences and history that you carry? You know, what are you doing in your work um, yeah. to move forward? <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm starting with myself, mm-hmm. like first and foremost. I'm starting with me, I, you know, making sure that I'm doing the work to heal myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I have nieces now, <laughs> and I really want to make sure that I continue to do the work to heal myself because I want my nieces to have less of a challenge in, you know, in their experiences. And I want them to be proud of who they are and know who they are. And so teaching, making sure that the our cultural practices, traditions, our medicine doesn't get lost, mm-hmm. you know, just because now, you know, there's another generation and they're, they have all this influence of... You know other another culture. and in that work, you know it translates into how I work with the people that I serve. you know and I really I really try to come f- really approach it as a conversation rather than an assessment or an intervention and try to create community um, with offering more traditional forms of medicine and healing so i you know i'm also an educator of infant massage mm. and so massage was something that i grew up with i you know my aunts were um Salvadoras, and my grandfather also did a lot of touch therapy um is or what you would call touch therapy in you know, Western terms, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so and so. Now I I've taken a shift. You know, because I was also trained as a, as a mental health professional here in the states. So I was trained from the Western psychology and the Western, you know, medicine model. Okay and so i didn't learn those things i didn't learn infant massage in graduate school i didn't learn you know yoga in graduate school <laughs> I, you know i i went into the community and i sought these things out that were more of what healing looked like for me growing up and and that's where I think for me is how the work looks a little bit different or right? I work to make it look different is even in the you know infant massage groups that I do, the moms have an opportunity to gather together, to meet each other, to talk, to, you know, I'm not just I'm not sitting there. At the front of the room and lecturing, or you know, with a pen, a pen and a pad, and asking questions and assessing and yeah. doing a biopsychosocial, <laughs> you know, assessment. <laughs> night. Sure. You know, we're 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 talking, we're relating, mm. we're you know, we're being in community, and I think that's that's how it looks different for me.
1: Yeah. It's so cool, I guess, (laughs) not to like that you, you talk about, you know, all of this generational trauma and these experiences and things um, that you are so closely connected with and then beautifully paint this picture of how you are um, using what you've learned to move forward in this, in this very Western academic industry um, that you're in. And I I just applaud you for the work that you're doing and understanding uh, and working to, to deconstruct and re-indigenize your mental health work. And so you bring a wealth of knowledge to this conversation. And I know that I, for one, and I'm sure Homer is as well, grateful to be able to have had this uh, really amazing conversation with you. I feel as though we could probably talk about Western medicine (laughs) forever, but you know that this conversation was something that I hope people take away people take something away from and that you know the work that we do as indigenous people to um decolonize or reindigenize our own mental health work it does start with us in many yeah. ways even if we understand and acknowledge and it's it's not fair in so many ways that we are mm-hmm. here where we are but it's not just right
2: yeah uh Life isn't fair, right. but when but, something is yeah. unjust is when it needs changed. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt you.
1: No, <laughs> um, I'm, it, the work, it it like you said, it starts with each of us.
2: And I, I was wondering, hearing you talk, uh, you know, we, marginalized communities, all marginalized communities in this country, um, the trauma we feel has been ignored. It's never been admitted by this country. And perhaps if, the country itself, the government, the, our local and state individuals would, mm-hmm. would recognize and admit the trauma mm-hmm. that has been handed down to our marginalized communities, we can start to heal. Because all we hear on the news is how violence is so bad in marginalized communities and this and that and the other thing. And it's like, well, yeah, but what's the cause of that? You mm-hmm. know, adding more police isn't helping it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's never going to help it mm-hmm. because you're never taking away the cause. Um, those are my feelings. I, I, I'm hoping I'm striking sure, you know, on sure. what you were saying. Um, but if they just acknowledged, hey, we screwed up, you know, maybe not that simply, maybe more sincerely, yeah. <laughs> um, but it may help to reach out to our marginalized communities and, and we can start to talk about it in our communities because yeah. now it's recognized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, ideally, <laughs> right. ideally yeah, I you know, lot. and there's a lot of it, work it to would be done. Be, it would be a start. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, I mean, it, that would be wonderful. And I think it would leave a lot of room for us to be able to heal together, you yeah. know, and because I think that's, that's the other part of, you know, the, the harm that comes from colonization is that, It creates division. And you know and we see a lot of division still now. And I think when we don't acknowledge each other's pain and suffering, then that just creates further division and anger and rage and you know and harm. And I think that's where decolonizing mental health really aims to do differently you mm-hmm. know it really is approaching things from the the perspective that healing is collective sure and yeah. and if we're able to acknowledge each other's humanity and each other's pain and suffering then that's a start towards collective healing
3: mm-hmm.
0: and like you you know you were saying earlier you know there's there's a lot of anger and rage and and people who get stuck in that in that place and and i think that when we're able to when we're able to look at people in their pain and suffering in that you know in that way from a non-judgmental way but also from this lens of we're all interconnected, right the that like interconnected sacredness, mm-hmm. right like an indigenous an indigenous philosophy and the indigenous para- paradigm, you know there's interconnection is a big piece of that. Yeah. spirituality is a big piece of that, and it doesn't say, you know, I'm connected to you, but I'm not connected to you sure <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know it's it it recognizes. Our, our humanity and our spiritual connection, our connection to everything, to each other, to other people, to the environment. You know, and that—that's you know, that's the other piece, right? The environment, our connection to the environment, that can bring a lot of healing because the environment also suffers right. when we're living wounded and mm. hurting ourselves and other people mm-hmm. so you know I think that's being able to look at things from that perspective and now while it's uh, the interconnected sacredness that we all carry they you know in like it's you are me and I am you and when we can have that perspective we can sit with someone's pain and suffering rather than judge it sure
1: Well, I know I, for one, am just grateful for the knowledge that you bring into this conversation. Um, Thank you so very much for being here and for this conversation and for being a part of this community. This episode was brought to you in partnership with the Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. We are incredibly grateful for their support and grateful to every single one of you for supporting Urban Native Collective's work. We also want to share that February 21st marked the date for early voting in Ohio. And as democracy is inherently Indigenous, we encourage you to get out and have your voices heard, whether you're in our state of Ohio or elsewhere across the country. Thanks again to each and every one of you for listening, subscribing, and sharing our podcast. Until next time.